Hey everybody, welcome back to Murder Alphabet Soup. I'm Kira. I hope everybody had a good holiday weekend and survived Black Friday. I participated a little bit online, but I'm definitely not a doorbuster person. I hate it with a passion. I'm not trying to punch anybody over a TV or something. I had a Thanksgiving episode last week, and now we're back on our alphabetical shenanigans. I is for intruder, but today's case is more about the idea of an intruder, the question of an intruder. Did they actually exist? And who really killed Damon and Devin Routier? This case is absolutely nuts. I have not been able to quit thinking about it. Um, but today we're talking about the case of Darley Routier. Darley Lynn Peck Routier. I hear it Routier and Routier, so I'm not sure which one is exactly correct because I heard it said both ways, but I'm pretty sure it's Routier. Uh, but she was born January 4th, 1970 in Altoona, Pennsylvania to parents Larry Peck and Darley Key. She also has a sister named Danielle. When Darley was a teenager, she relocated to Lubbock, Texas with her mother and stepfather Robbie Key. Her mother worked at a Western Sizzlin' restaurant where Darren, her future husband, worked as a cook. He was 17 and Darlie was 15 when they met. And they got married in August of 1988. Darlie studied at Monterey High School in Lubbock, graduating in 1988. Darren had a small company that tested electronic components and was pretty successful initially. They went on to purchase a new house in Rowlett, Texas, a suburb of Dallas, um, and that's where they settled down. Less than a year after they got married, their son Devin Rush Routier was born on June 14, 1989. They had their second son, Damon Christian Routier, on February 19, 1991. Their youngest son, Drake, was born October 18, 1995. They were apparently model residents in their neighborhood with a seemingly perfect family, but after their business hit a time when it wasn't really doing so well, it became harder to keep up this image. The family was living beyond their means. They allegedly owed thousands of dollars in back taxes and credit cards. They had applied for a loan and been denied shortly before these murders took place, and the family's financial difficulties would end up becoming a part of the case. On June 6, 1996, at 2.31 a.m., the Rowlett-911 dispatchers got an emergency call from Darley from their home on Eagle Drive. She reported that an intruder had broken into the house, stabbing her two children and attacking her. Her version of the story goes that she was asleep downstairs where Devin and Damon were, who were six and five at the time, respectively when she was woken up by her son Damon pressing on her shoulder and saying, Mommy. Whether or not Damon was hurt at this time, I'm not totally sure, but she says that she then saw the outline of a man walking through the end of her living room into the kitchen towards the utility room that was attached to the kitchen. She said she heard the sound of glass breaking, and then she got up and started to walk to the kitchen, and she saw a knife laying on the ground right outside the utility room. Darley says she instinctively picked up the knife, and that's when she could see her son Devin lying face up, 
she flipped on the lights and started screaming for her husband, who was upstairs asleep with their seven-month-old son, Drake, at the time. Police arrived in about three minutes, and as you might guess, they couldn't find the intruder. One son was already dead, and the other was close to dying. Darren tried performing CPR, but he couldn't save them, and they had both sustained fatal wounds. Darlie had wounds that would be described as superficial, although she did have a huge slice wound on her neck that came within about two millimeters of her carotid artery. But I think one thing that was weird about this to investigators was the fact that Devin and Damon had deep stab wounds going through the chest and back area, and Darlene had more the kind of like slice wounds on the skin. Darlie told police that the intruder had attacked her and she had fought him off and that he had escaped through the garage, which was on the back side of the utility room. But there was no blood drops in there, which led them to think that no one had been through there because this scene, the house, was covered in blood. There was blood everywhere. They did find a screen cut in the garage, which they thought meant that somebody had cut the screen from the outside and come in through there and made their way to the main part of the house. There were bloody footprints in the kitchen, bloody fingerprints, and broken glass. Darley's only description of the attacker was that he was a white male in dark clothing. About eight days after the murders, newscasts showed Darley and several other family members at the boy's grave celebrating Devin's seventh birthday. In the video, she was smiling and laughing and spraying silly string on the graves while singing happy birthday. The family members say that there was a part earlier that the news didn't end up airing that captured a more solemn ceremony to honor the boys, but this happy birthday video shocked a lot of people. And four days later, Darley was arrested and charged with capital murder. The police stated that they believed that the white male suspect that she claimed to have attacked her and murdered her children never existed. And that they also believed that the wounds present on Darley were self-inflicted. The birthday video definitely played a big role in the case, and Darley later commented on it saying, quote, he wanted to be seven. I did the only thing I knew to do to honor him and give him all his wishes because he wasn't here anymore. But how do you know what you're going to do when you lose two children? How do you know how you're going to act? End quote. And she has a point. You don't really know how you're going to act until it's actually happened to you. Everyone deals with grief differently, but, you know, it doesn't really uh, change how the way you act is perceived by other people sometimes. But this wasn't the only piece of evidence that was damning to her case. When Darlie was on the phone with 911, she told the operator that she had touched the knife and basically that she had messed up the possibility of fingerprinting it. This was strange to prosecutors because they maintained that a mother with two dying children in front of her wouldn't be thinking about fingerprints and saw it as her making an excuse for why they wouldn't be able to find anyone else's fingerprints on the knife. Darley says that when the dispatcher told her not to touch anything, it clicked in her mind that she had touched a piece of evidence. I'll put a piece of the audio right here from the 911 call. Um, I'll play the beginning of it where she initially picks up the phone and then cut to where she's talking about picking up the knife. I would play more of it on here, but without subtitles, it's really hard to understand what is being said at a lot of times. But I'll play that clip right here. Uh, I 
Outside the home, in an alley a few doors down, there was an athletic sock found on the ground with drops of blood from both Damon and Devin. The question is how the sock got there. Prosecution believes that Darley placed the sock there herself. Darley's mother has argued that if she wanted to plant something like that, why wouldn't she put it in the yard or in the driveway or somewhere that it would more certainly be found? Which is a good point, but it's not impossible that it was planted there. During the trial, Darley was portrayed as a spoiled, materialistic woman that couldn't handle the fact that the lifestyle that she was used to was slipping away and their debts were mounting. While it was believed that the scene was staged and Darley had inflicted her wounds on herself, San Antonio Chief Medical Examiner Vincent DeMaio argued that the wound on her neck didn't line up with self-inflicted wounds he had seen before. However, the physicians who treated her at Baylor University Medical Center stated previously to the police officers that the wounds could have been self-inflicted, but the jurors didn't get to see the photos of her injuries, which would have probably helped her case at least a little. Darley's defense attorney, Douglas Mulder, argued that there was no coherent motive for her to have murdered her children. He pointed out that the prosecution did not have a motive, a confession, or any witnesses. Darley was advised not to take the witness stand, but she did it anyway and apparently, quote, withered under cross-examination by prosecutor Toby Shook, end quote. Tom Bevel testified that the cast pattern of blood on the back of Darley's nightgown indicated that she had raised a knife over her head with each stab she had inflicted on the boys. With all of this, along with the jury being showed the silly string video, Darley was convicted of murder. On February 4, 1997, she was sentenced to death by lethal injection after seven hours of deliberation from the jury. Routier and her family hired J. Stephen Cooper as her post-conviction attorney. He and others in the defense team have claimed that a number of errors had been made both during the trial and in the official transcription of it. They also suggested that there were several errors in how the investigation itself had been conducted. When they approached an appeals court with these allegations, they were rejected. The same thing happened during a court ruling on her habeas corpus petition. In June 2008, Routier was granted the right to new DNA tests. Her appeals were remanded to the state level for improving DNA testing, and on January 29, 2014, Chief Judge of the Western District, Fred Beery, granted a request from prosecution and defense for her case for further DNA tests, vital to the defense to be performed on a bloody fingerprint found outside the home, a bloody sock, and her nightshirt. I believe they are still waiting for this to be done because while the court granted the tests, the state of Texas is uh, kind of opposed to it, and they've been waiting on these tests to be performed for years. And those tests, especially, you know, the, the bloody fingerprint, could really, you know, turn the entire case around. In June 2011, Darren Routier filed for divorce from his wife, saying that the decision was mutual and, quote, very difficult, and that he still believes that his wife is innocent. He said that they decided to divorce to end the, quote, limbo that they had been in since her arrest and conviction. Darley has been at the Mountain View unit in Texas for the last 20 years. Her sentence is to be carried out at the Huntsville unit's execution chamber, although there is no set date for her execution due to the court-granted DNA testing. I'm not really sure what I believe about this case. Darley seems really sincere to me, but there are just some timeline things that kind of don't add up. 
She says she got up in the middle of the night and saw the knife on the ground and then found Damon, but in the call to 911, she says the person attacked her and then ran out the back, dropping the knife. Now, whether both of those are true and just hearing them separate and not in the right order is a little confusing, that's totally possible. I'm not saying that she's lying or anything. If there was an intruder, there's the possibility that they didn't have the opportunity to steal anything, but it would seemingly have to be someone that came in just for the sole purpose of killing them. Nothing was touched, nothing was stolen, and they're left with the loss of their two sons. All we can really hope is that the DNA testing goes through and that we get some answers, because if they do have the wrong person, they've walked up a grieving mother for the last 20 years. But, of course, there is still the possibility that she did do this, and we might not ever know the truth. As always, if you want to share your thoughts on this case, or anything in particular, head over to the Instagram, Murder Alphabet Soup Pod. I hope everybody has a great week out there, and uh, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.